Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for being here as we begin a new week of bringing clarity to the chaos. Today, Greg Patton is living in today's world, and Larry Stamm is here to discuss his brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. Brand new resources, books, and DVDs are on our website, swrc.com. New items are being added almost every day. Hundreds of books and DVDs for you. SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com. We're able to be here each day because of you, because of your prayers and financial support. When you purchase a book or DVD, you're helping us spread the good news that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. We're excited to announce the release of the brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, by Larry Stamm. Larry recently spoke with James Collins to discuss this exciting new resource. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the very first church was founded in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago when 3,000 people responded to the first gospel sermon that was preached by the Apostle Peter. It was a 100% Jewish church. Peter and all of Jesus' apostles were Jewish. All the people who responded were Jewish, and the person who soon emerged as the leader of the Jerusalem church was the Jewish brother of the Lord Jesus Christ named James. Needless to say, the people didn't shed their Jewishness overnight, nor did they build a church with a steeple and an organ. They continued to live as Jews, and they continued to practice the Jewish faith. What I'm trying to say is Christianity is Jewish. I'm excited to have my friend Larry Stamm on the Watchman on the Wall today. Larry is a Jew for Jesus. He has a passion to share the Lord Jesus Christ and tell the world that Christianity is Jewish. Beacon Street Press has just released Larry's brand new book called Jewish Roots of Christianity, and I believe that once you hear about the book, you'll want to get your own copy. Welcome, Larry. Thanks for being on the Watchman on the Wall today. Shalom, James. It's great to be with you in the audience today. Now, Larry, you grew up in a Reformed Jewish home in Florida. You attended synagogue and you went through bar mitzvah at age 13, but today you're a Christian. Now, that's quite a journey. Tell me about your journey of faith. How did you come to know Christ? James, growing up as Reformed Jews in St. Pete, Florida, we were culturally and socially very connected to the Jewish community, spiritually and religiously not so much. As you mentioned, I did go to Hebrew school. I was bar mitzvah. I did believe in God growing up. Ever since I could remember, I believed that God knew me and that I was special in His eyes. But like many kids who grow up with a liberal expression of Judaism in high school, I turned to my own path, and I sought to find meaning and fulfillment in academics and athletics. I thought accomplishment would bring me happiness. It did not. We know as Christians there's a God-shaped void in every human being that Mm -hmm. only the Lord Jesus could fill. And I was looking for love in all the wrong places, so to speak. But people started coming into my life during my college years and started sharing the gospel with me and started talking about Jesus and telling me he's the Messiah, that he died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I never heard that in the synagogue. I didn't want to hear about their Jesus. To us as Jewish people, at least growing up in the synagogue, we were taught that Jesus was not for us. 
he was the God of the Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit kept moving. God kept bringing people into my life. I had a friend of mine in college named Greg, and he said two things that rocked my world. He said, there's absolute truth, and you can get in touch with it. And then he said, do you know where you came from? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're going when you die? James, that actually rocked me to the core of my being. And I started to search. And in college, I didn't necessarily embrace my Judaism nor Christianity, but I started to search because I knew there was something more. I believed in God, but didn't know him personally through faith in Christ. That was the beginning of my conscious search for truth. Fast forward on my journey was the fall of 1987. I'm flying home from Atlanta to St. Petersburg. I'd been out of college about a year. And a guy sat next to me on the airplane. I was reading a philosophy book, and this man sat next to me. He looked over all wide-eyed. He said, a philosophy book? Are you interested in philosophy? And I had to arch my back and say, yes, yes, I am. I was just dabbling. But I was searching. He said, great, let's talk. I have a master's degree in philosophy. We have a lot to talk about. He proceeded to share his faith in Jesus with me, James. And then he posed two questions that, again, really challenged me. He said, you tell me you're Jewish and you believe in God? I said, yes. He said, why don't you ask the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if Jesus is the Messiah, and he'll show you the truth. And that day I prayed a deep theological prayer, James. I prayed, God, help. (laughs) Show me the truth. I don't know about Jesus, Messiah, the Bible, or Christianity, but I believe you're real. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God spoke through the prophet, speaks today these words, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. I called out, cried out to the God of Israel to show me the truth about who Jesus was. And three months later, James, in December 1987, I was born again. I believe for the first time that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world. I believe for the first time that he died for my sins and rose again from the dead, that through faith in him, I could be forgiven and experience abundant and eternal life. I actually prayed to receive Christ with that man who had witnessed to me on the airplane. So that was really the beginning of my journey of faith many years ago, and I'm eternally grateful for all the Lord has done in my life. Well, now, I've heard stories from other Jewish believers who've said that their faith caused friends and family to alienate them. Did you experience that type of situation? And my family, I was a closet Christian for 18 months. It took me that long to come out. I'm the first believer in my family. I had family members say things like, how can you do this? No one in our family's ever believed in Jesus before. Another family member said, how can you do this? Another family member said, whatever you do, don't share your faith with so-and-so. So it was really a mixed bag. I've had one grandmother come to faith in Jesus before she passed away. However, my father, after I shared my faith with him and and soon after shared my faith with his mother, I continued to reach out to them with the gospel, and he eventually disowned me in part because of my faith in Jesus Christ. So I've experienced the joy of salvation in my family. I've also experienced what it means to identify with our Lord in his suffering by being alienated and ostracized by others in my family. Today I have a good relationship with the remainder of my family who's alive, but none of them today know Jesus. So if your audience would lift up my lost family to the Lord, I would appreciate it. Yes, amen. Well, now, I understand the Holocaust had a great impact on your family. You mentioned your grandparents. Your father and your grandparents had to flee Germany. Will you share that story? 
Sure. I'm a first-generation Holocaust survivor. My father was born in Bonn, Germany in 1932. In 1939, it was getting hot and heavy over in Germany for those familiar with World War II. Remember November 1938, the night of the broken glass, Kristallnacht. And then in the spring of 1939, a gentleman who was a friend of my father's family who actually served in World War I in the German Army with my grandpa Carl, this man had become an SS agent. At the same time, he was friends of my family and actually put his life on the line, falsifying papers and enabling my father and his parents to escape Nazi Germany. They immigrated to British Honduras, better known to us today as Belize, and then in 1941 immigrated to Florida. The rest of my father's extended family never made it out of Germany alive. They were all murdered by the Nazis. So, as you can imagine, throughout my life, the Holocaust has had a significant impact upon me and my family. You served for several years in New York with Jews for Jesus. What was that like? It was transformative. I'm not a conversational Hebrew speaker, and if you don't speak conversational Hebrew and you are a missionary to the Jewish people, New York City is the best place on planet Earth to be a missionary. It was wonderful. Me and my wonderful wife, Lori, and our kids, Elijah and Shoshi, we lived in New York City from 2003 to 2009. I was a frontline missionary to my Jewish people, and it was wonderful to be able to share the good news with my people and anybody else who would be willing to listen to the truth claims of Christ and the gospel. So it was wonderful, and I want to encourage your audience to understand that Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus. More Jewish people have come to saving faith in Jesus as Messiah in the last 50-plus years than at any time in history, save the first century, as you stated earlier, was Jewish. So right now, uh, Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus in unprecedented numbers, and it's a mighty work of God. My guest today is Larry Stamm, the author of Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can get a copy of this great book by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Jewish Roots of Christianity is very evangelistic. It would be a great book to give a friend who doesn't know Christ. It's also a great apologetic. The gospel is logically laid out. It's a great Bible study. In fact, a study guide is placed in the book after each chapter. It's a Jewish root study that will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, gain deeper understanding of the Word of God, and better understand and appreciate and articulate the gospel. Let's get back to talking about the book. What inspired you to write Jewish Roots of Christianity? Did it have something to do with your passion to tell the world that Christianity is Jewish? Yes. In fact, I've been teaching a Jewish Roots of Christianity seminar for the last eight years. And as a missionary to the Jewish people, one has to establish that it is kosher for Jews to believe in Jesus. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospels, I have come to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, as an evangelist and someone who wants to encourage and equip Christians to share their faith with people, Larry Stan Ministry is our ministry. We exist to make the gospel of Jesus a confident topic of conversation for every Christian. What we do, James, is I want to help Christians connect the dots between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, Perhaps you've heard this pithy catchphrase, and perhaps some in your audience have as well, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill. 
So the Jewish Roots of Christianity seminar and the book is really a work to help the Christian better understand the gospel message so as to more effectively articulate the message. The impetus for the book, turning the material from the seminar into the book, comes from you and our friends at Southwest Radio. Matthew Hill, the, the, the CEO of Southwest Radio, encouraged me to publish the book in partnership with you all and Beacon Street Press. So that's the impetus of the book, is really to help Christians better understand the gospel so as to, like you said before and we say, so as to more effectively share the gospel with others. Did you personally learn anything writing Jewish Roots of Christianity? Yes, I learned that the material goes on and on and on, <laughs> that it's actually a massive topic. The subtitle of the book is A Survey of Redemptive History from Genesis to Revelation, a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. So this is an introductory work. There are literally volumes and volumes written and taught about each of the topics mentioned in the book from the Gospel and the Old Testament and the personal work of Christ found in the Feasts of Israel. They're all types and shadows of the ultimate fulfillment found in Jesus. We talk about Messianic prophecy in the book. We talk about topics like the tabernacle, the temple, and the Christian. We talk about the Trinity in the Old Testament, New Testament application. So the book is a great primer and introduction to the topic for people. But what I learned primarily is that the study is massive, and the person and work of Messiah is found everywhere in the Hebrew Scriptures, and it's a wonderful, wonderful study, and I hope and pray the book will be a great help to the believer. I understand completely what you mean by that. I'm finishing up a book called The Twelve, which is about the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament. And again, it could fill volumes. It could be like writing a set of encyclopedia, all the material that you could include in a book on the twelve minor prophets. But I had to limit things there. So anyway, back to your book. How is the Judaism of Jesus' day not the same Judaism of today? Again, it's a huge topic, but in the book I just introduced the reality that the Judaism of Jesus' day was biblical Judaism, and the Judaism of today is really not the religion found in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, but the religion of today is the religion of the rabbis. It's called traditional rabbinic Judaism, otherwise known as Orthodox Judaism. And what I mean in that there's a difference between the Judaism of Jesus' day and the Judaism of today is there are two huge differences between the Judaism in Jesus' day and the Judaism of today. The first is how we have our sins forgiven. The Old Testament sacrificial system was the means of forgiveness. Leviticus 17.11, the Word of God says, God spoke through Moses giving us the Word where it says in Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. What happened in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, and when it was, so was the altar of sacrifice, where sacrifices were offered, where atonement was received through faith in offering those sacrifices. So with no temple, there's no altar, there's no sacrifice, there's no forgiveness of sins. So there was no longer a need for a temple, if you remember, because Jesus said the temple would be destroyed. He prophesied the temple would be destroyed, and it was, because 
Now Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's from John chapter 1. So the unbelieving rabbinic community had to figure out how to propagate Judaism without a temple. And so they came up with the magic formula of prayer, repentance, and good works that would now be the means of atonement, not blood sacrifice, which is the biblical prescription for forgiveness. And so now we have a different way to have our sins forgiven. That's great golf fixed, number one. Great golf fixed, number two, is whose word is authoritative? Is it God's word or is it the word of men? So, in short, James, the Pharisees believed that God gave Moses not only a written law, but they also believed God gave Moses an oral tradition, mm-hmm. a supplement, an addendum, if you will, to the oral law. They believed Moses handed that down to Aaron, Aaron to his family, and on through the generations. That's why when we get to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. There was an oral tradition that the Pharisees and others were teaching as the Word of God. They were saying these traditions of the elders, as it was called, people can refer to Mark chapter 7, where there's a big row and Jesus condemns religious leaders for teaching as the Word of God, the traditions of men. So that oral tradition was written down and codified the first five centuries after Christ. We know it better today as the oral law or the Talmud in Judaism. The Talmud is as authoritative as the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And it's not a proof text, James, but God said in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall do all that is according to written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And so Judaism today is not necessarily a religion specifically based upon the Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures, but it is also predicated on the authority of the rabbis and the teachings found in the Talmud. And that's why I say those are the two big areas of divergence between the Judaism of Jesus' day and the Judaism of today. I appreciate you giving me the chance to share that, because it's a mouthful, but if Christians understand that, they can really understand much about why so many Jewish people are confused about who Jesus is. Larry, you write in Jewish Roots of Christianity that you're not a converted Jew, you are a converted sinner, and you are a completed Jew. Then you write, the most Jewish thing I or anyone could do is place their trust in the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the world, Jesus. So before we close out for today, will you tell our listeners how they can place their trust in Jesus Christ? Friends, if you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead, but you've never confessed your sin to God and said, God, I'm a sinner, I believe Jesus is the Savior. I encourage you to simply confess your sins to God, ask Him to forgive you of your sin, and ask God that He would forgive you and come into your life and receive Jesus by faith. The Word says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I encourage you to do that, friends, and if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, I encourage you to contact us at Southwest Radio Ministries. Call the ministry. Larry Stam will continue his look at the Jewish roots of Christianity next time. To get the complete two-day conversation on CD, call 1-800-652-1144. Greg Patton is here to inspire and encourage with living in today's world.
This is a question that I used to pose all the time before God. I always had a lot of trouble in my life, so I'd say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I mean, the ground here is shaking much harder than I ever expected, and I don't get it. You gave me this shovel to dig myself out, and all of a sudden it breaks in two. God, why do you let things happen to me like this? You know, these things happen to you as well, my friend, for a very important reason, a V-I-R, very important reason. He is in control of your life, always has been, always will be, but he wants you to recognize that fact and let go and let him be in charge of your life. That's so true. He does not want to merely be a resource that you call on in moments and times of need well, I've got this big thing going on. We better go to prayer and talk to God about it. No, I mean, he wants to be there 24-7. He's your all-sufficient Lord, God, Master, Savior, friend. He knows you better than anyone in the world. He formed your very cells and fibers in your body, according to the 139th Psalm. I mean, he's got a great plan for you today. Did you know that? And he knows how to get you there. The problem is you and I take so many detours. How sad. When you face circumstances that rapidly deplete your spiritual, emotional, and physical reserves, and in some cases it doesn't take much, somehow you experience this urge that causes you to want to cling on to something else. I talk about this in my new demonic book. It's called The Fake Fear Factor. You hold on to fear. It's an emotion common to everybody listening to this program. The question should not be how to get rid of that fear, how to deny that fear exists, but what kind of fear is it, and where is it driving me? It should be driving me into the arms of Almighty God. You know, so often we just let fear of the world drive us back into ourselves where we find no strength at all. I'm back where I started. I've gone in a circle. Instead, we should let it drive us to God. The Bible says the fear of God does not drive us away from him, but rather to him. It is only as the fear of God overcomes our fear of the world and things, we can truly be productive and cope with our fears of the world. I mean, fear is just a flight away from harm. It's the product of helplessness. It's the product of weakness brought about by a feeling of inadequacy and, oh, it's out of control. If we demand control and success, we're going to be destroyed. That's the opposite of the world's message today. You need to be in control. You need to be successful. Now, why is all of this? Well, we live in a sinful world. Our weakness will continually be exposed day by day. But if we submit to God instead of demanding control, then serve God instead of insisting on success in life, and then you're going to be changed and your fears are going to go away. Seriously. Hey, I can say been there, done that. That's why I want to share this today. God's sovereignty is the ultimate issue we face in all of this. If we clutch desperately for success and control, then we deny the power of God. If we exercise the privilege of submission and service, we acknowledge God. We're so often concerned with extricating ourselves from current trouble. I don't want the unpleasantness of pain. Well, we miss God's point then. Trouble is always a call to trust Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
trust him more than you have in the past, then the Lord also gives you the strength to rely upon him, Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Let me ask you, are you hanging on to some other support system other than Almighty God today? It's easy to do, and be honest. God longs for you to release yourself into his control. Give yourself over to his eternal support. You don't have to worry about what's going on in the world today and the consequences thereof. Either God's in charge or he isn't. He takes care of you. You're his in a way that he knows best for you. Different program for you than me. He will sustain your spirit in the process there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know, King David expressed much inner tension in his Psalms of praise to God. And he also showed the resolution to all of this. Submitting. It's the very best way. Obedience. It results in tranquility in your spirit. Read Psalm 55. The psalmist says, my heart's in anguish within me. Yeah. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Sound familiar? Fear and trembling come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. Read it. Psalm 55, verse 4 and 5. He is not specific about what has caused all of this, but my, he's very graphic here concerning the impact on your life. When you're ready to yield wholly to God, saying humbly that you need him, Psalm 56 provides a wonderful prayer as an example. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in thee, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Maybe you're at this point today in your relationship with him. You've not experienced a trial so extreme, and I believe every Christian needs a lot of them. So you haven't experienced anything like this? I mean, that's caused you to assess the true foundation of your trust? Be thankful to God it's arrived. God's blessed you today with a time of quiet strengthening, but understand, he loves you too much to allow your notions of self-sufficiency to survive. He will test you in time, but always with a purpose. He loves you. He has that never-ending love. So what do you think? Can God take care of you? You know the answer, whether you admit it or not. Oftentimes we say, I don't think so, not in this case. Yeah, he can help you. And the question might be, why does he do that? Why does God take away human help? Because he wants you to rely solely on him. And he wants to purify you, my Christian friend, by putting you through this painful lesson. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. So what do I do? Give myself up to his plan. Allow myself to be led wherever he wants me to go. Why should I be so concerned about all of those dried up streams when rivers of living water are available right here? What a message from God. In our Resource Center today, we are excited to offer Larry Stamm's brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. In Jewish Roots of Christianity, a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation, Larry Stamm, a first-generation Holocaust survivor and Jewish follower of Jesus, introduces such topics as the Gospel in the Old Testament, how the feasts of Israel point to the person and work of Messiah Jesus, the historical interaction between biblical Judaism and New Testament faith, and much, much more. This book is an excellent resource for your personal Bible study, as well as your local Sunday school or homeschool classes. Get Jewish Roots of Christianity today for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
or order this brand new book online, swrc.com. When you order Jewish Roots of Christianity, be sure and get Larry Stamm's other books, Into the Gale and Serving in His Court. You can get all three books for a gift of $50 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.